Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hyper-sexualized times. That's my hypey voice. Welcome back, everybody. Andrew and subsequently Benji here. And today's episode, we grapple with the idea of what is God-centered sexuality. This is a an issue that, you know, we raise constantly. It's in our talks, it's in our, you know, our lectures, it's in our content. And we want to explore this because if you just take it superficially, it doesn't have much value, this concept of God-centered sexuality, because you'll most likely just default to how you've always just related to sexuality. But upon further review, if you actually do listen to this and steep yourself in this idea of what does it mean to have God at the center of my sexuality, I believe it will transform your relationship with the topic and the expression of sexuality in really profound and helpful ways. Because when the presence of God is there, you don't seek after stupid, mindless, hurtful ways and expressions of sex because you're connected to love. So please follow us. We kind of, we go on this, like it's, Benji and I get to the point. We do get to the point in this episode, but it's kind of like a Sunday drive. We don't take the most direct route. We don't take the freeway. We take these beautiful back streets and we enjoy the view. So it's a, a lot more helpful. I think it's a robust conversation. Please join us. We missed you. All right, we made it. We made it into the multiverse. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Sabanjamin and Andrew are back, back at the helm of your brain. We are contorting it to our fancy. <laughs> That's basically everybody. It's like a race to dominate people's minds. That's mm. it's. I don't know if you've noticed this trend, but that's so many people are dumping up an incredible amount of money into media because everybody's trying to tell you what to believe. And everybody's telling you that the other guy, he's the bad guy, you know? But yeah. I guess you need to be the judge, everybody. Are we are we the good guy? Are we filling filling your brain with good stuff or not? Let us know. Let us know in the comments. I like to say that because it means nothing. There's no comments on a podcast. But let us know in the comments. <laughs> Please. How are you feeling yeah. today, Benji? You looking sharp? You looking fresh? You looking clean? You looking magnanimous? I don't know what that word means, but that's what you, you look like relaxed. Good, man. I'm feeling chill, ready to tackle this topic and figure out what it's all about, for sure. Yeah. Well, that was like a blunt segue to the topic, which we, you know, because the essence of a religion, all religions are like, your life might be okay. It's probably bad, but if, with our belief, then it'll be great, all right? There's, you know, a lot of promises that come with religions, obviously. But even with High Noon, we know that to remove God from anything is futile because it takes out the origin. It takes out the, the meaning, the wisdom, the wisdom meaning like tradition and, you know, the inherent value of this thing. 
and so we always talk about God-centered sexuality. But one thing is, when we say words like that, it actually means something very different to everybody. You know, everybody has a different idea. Some people think, oh, religious sex. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Other people think that sexuality then becomes a sacrament, and then a sacrament needs some sort of ritual. So you need a candle, you need a special candle when you make love or whatever. I don't know. I'm sure there's many concepts that come to people's minds, but we wanted to unpack kind of what yeah. we mean when we say that, at least. And then if you would like to leave your comments below, <laughs> you can let us know what you think. Uh, yeah. Or just reach out to us on social media or whatever. But we'd like to unpack it just because it's actually, there's a massive difference um, in our world over the course of time between God-centered sex and human-centered sex, hedonistic sex, this kind of stuff. It might not be obvious on the surface like most things are because most people are living by their feelings and whatever feels good. Oh, I think that's right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good idea over time. Uh, so, oh, and I, by the way, I, I was following this guy who's like, who's on Instagram and he was talking, he's kind of, there's a lot of people that are quasi-spiritual. And so he said one thing, I was like, oh, okay. I like to hear people's ideas, good or bad. I just want to know. And then I listened to a video that he made and he said, the greatest, the most important thing that you need to understand about your soul is when to leave, when to leave a relationship, when to, and all this stuff. And I was just like, this is, I was about to comment and then I realized I'm not the type of person who leaves a comment below. That that's the worst advice ever because what you're talking about is feeling, oh, this relationship doesn't feel good. So I, my soul says I need to leave it. I was like, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. if, if that's how you base your eternal relationships, then... You know, we'll just be here cleaning up your mess. No offense, but that it's just a very sloppy way of going about business because their feelings change by the second. Yeah, Benji? Mm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's it's very evident when people are looking for partners, matching partners, respective spouses, that the tendency is to look at, like we all have filters and lenses that we look at people, every person. Yeah. But when sure. people are especially looking at partners, which is, probably one of the most important decisions you will ever make, right? Yeah. It's like who you marry, where you live, how many children you have, or if you have children, those are probably the biggest decisions you'll make. And who you marry is probably number one, arguably, right? Mm. And the interesting thing that, that I've noticed is that people generally, even in our, in our own faith and community, people have two lenses that they look through. Number one is a, like a external lens, like a preference lens, which is fine and important and everyone kind of has one to some extent. And then there's like the internal value-based lens. And those are both kind of natural and normal for people to have. But the problem with society in general and like what you're talking about is most people, I would say most people, first have the lens of external preferences. And then they sure. put on the value lens, which is like, let me see what who matches my preferences externally. And then I'll just by chance, hope that they'll also match my internal values and yeah. my, my value system and my vision and my goals for my life. But the reality is that if you do that, like you're saying, Andrew, the, the chances of that relationship being based on something that's very, very superficial or very high or external. Yeah. 
And the reality is that 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 kind of stuff can change so quickly within a marriage, even in a few years, even just within a few years, something like, I want a spouse that is physically fit, which is okay, sure, that's normal. But if that's your entire basis of your relationship, what happens when your wife has a child is not the skinny person that you, you, that she was in the beginning? What if your husband gets the dad bod and is not that super awesome, fit, sexy dude that you fell in love with, right? And then yeah. the entire relationship crumbles because it's, it was fundamentally based on that first lens of, of something external, right? Sure. And this is a common question. It's like, is it okay to have preferences? Yeah, but you have to make sure that the, the first lens that you look at everyone is, is the internal first. That's priority number one. Because that's the thing that even in your lifetime, and especially when you, in the afterlife, eternally speaking, will matter, will continue to matter. And that kind of stuff becomes infinitely less and less significant as you age, like the external stuff I'm talking about, as you age, but also especially as we move on, right? If we believe in an afterworld that is filled with love and the only thing we bring with us is love and, and our relationships and the people that we have connections with, deep connections with, then that stuff is like so, so minute in comparison, right? Well, anyway, my understanding of the afterlife is that it's love and abs that you bring into the spirit world. So, <laughs> yeah, everyone gets abs. If you have abs, yeah, if you get, well, no, only if you made them in the physical world, you can carry oh. them all. There's like a carryover. That's, that's my, I, I was signing a contract the other day for spirit world and that's, that was a clause. Nice. You heard it here. Well, nice. no, th- this is like a worldview issue that if you think about it, like you, you scale that out a little bit and then you see generally how people view something like God. I've had so many conversations with people who don't have really any interest in believing in God. So they're like, okay, prove to me that I should care. And I was like, I don't have any interest in that because you got to care first because God's not going to squeeze into your little brain, your little concept of what's right or wrong, good or bad and all that. You can't squeeze God in like this infinite expression of life into a finite and very remote and very minuscule, you know, brain that you have but if you think about it practically speaking like jesus right jesus was nobody wanted him to be the guy (laughs) that's why they rejected him is because they wanted somebody else they're like but we wanted a messiah that like gave us candy and hugged us a lot not a guy that yelled at us sometimes right and then you think about true parents too same thing complaining 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 because they're like yeah but could he just be nicer? Could he just be a little bit more like, you know, people want to Tricky. squeeze big things into their little minds. And that's the same thing that we do with with attraction as well. So that's a great that's a great start to this conversation is when people are looking for a spouse, a lot of times they're like they want to squeeze the they want to be a good person and they want to make the right decision that will influence, but they also want all the accoutrement. They want like the, all the external first and then they want to squeeze that into their and And I want a good person too, or like a, you know, a, you know, but the, it's, it's honestly like a, not yep. a priority. And what you're saying is prioritizing the internal, meaning the important stuff, the stuff that will last. And then if you get the other stuff too, great. It's kind of incidental to be honest, because also, if you're loving somebody, they will take better care of themselves in terms of fitness and all that. If somebody is really insecure and worried about how they look all the time, it can be quite a problem over the longevity of a relationship. But if somebody is 
feels loved and appreciated, they're much more likely to yeah. have that be expressed in how they take care of themselves, the food that they eat. Like, how much is depression and junk food correlated? It's it's bananas. So the you get both when you focus on the internal, but it can't be like a means to an end. It's just like, you know, it's just a byproduct. Can I share a quick story on that point of- Absolutely. So my wife, Hitue, blessed marriage for 13 years. She is the opposite of me in that she she's the internal first in our relationship and I'm the external first. And so it was probably one of our greatest points of conflict is that she prioritizes the internal and I've always prioritized the external, which is both needed, right? And I'm not here to say that she's not an external person because I think when I talk about her, they think people think that she like doesn't take care of herself or whatever. She takes she care of herself. She just walks very around well. in a burlap sack all day. <laughs> <laughs> like Moses. And Bert, what are those slippers called? Crocs. Yeah. Eating lotuses. Um, yeah. Got no, it. if you if you meet her or you can check her out on Facebook, she takes care of herself, but she doesn't she hasn't changed her appearance at all in the last thirteen years. At all. Like she's been the same weight, she's been the exact same style. And then I've tried so hard in different ways to kind of convince her to change things up, right? In, in nice ways, like like ways that I, I kind of prefer, right? And I just recently figured it out, Andrew. I figured out how to explain it to her. And we were talking about style and fashion, right? And I was trying to, trying to get her to, to buy some new clothes. And I was like, I'm going to buy you some new shoes and, and, a, and a nice like dress and that kind of thing. Uh, and, I, and I asked her to like, get a new hairstyle and that kind of thing. And she's always like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm like, okay. But I asked her, Hitoe, why does true mother take care of herself externally. She's like, interesting, right? And then she got curious and she, we started talking about this. And I don't know, I can't speak for her, but our conclusion and her conclusion was that mother takes care of herself because she represents something. Yeah? And so our conclusion in this conversation is like, our couple, we represent a Chonoguk family and a Chonoguk lifestyle. And so the reality is that when people look at us, when our ancestors look at us, when spirit world looks at us, when anyone we look, anyone, anyone we interact with at the grocery store, at school, wherever, at the YMCA, they look at us. If we are dressed as Chanaguk citizens, then they will pay attention to our internal state as well. They will notice and be like, wow, I would like to be like them. Oh, wow. They also have these wonderful children. Oh, wow. They also have an internal character that is, that is worth looking into and getting to know, right? The reality is that if we're not taking care of ourselves externally, right, physical fitness-wise, also, you know, fashion and style, just generally taking care of our external appearance, people won't even pay any attention to the internal, you know? And whether that's a character flaw in humanity, maybe, perhaps, but that's the world we live in. And so I was explaining this to her because my whole journey in, the, in our blessing has been me focusing more on the internal and developing my internal side, and making that a priority, right? And so I was kind of explaining, like, we have to have this balance. And all of us, especially in our couple, we have to take care of ourselves internally and externally. I'm of, I'm of the opinion that internally is more important now because internally is what, internally is who you are as a person. Externally is, like, you could be anybody and, inter like, you could be anybody internally and have the external appearance of whatever you want. Does that make sense? But who you no. are internally <laughs> is... It's who you are, but you can okay. pretend to be anything and anyone you want, externally speaking. Sure, sure, but sure, who sure. you are internally is like, you can't fake that stuff. That's your integrity. So 
I've kind of switched my mind to be more like focusing on internal stuff, but I also see the value in the external. And I just want to share that because because my wife has changed. Like she she bought a bunch of like random stuff. She's she's gonna get her hair permed, which I've been trying to get her to do for a long time. And she's like, no, nah, I don't need that. She's gonna do it <laughs> for me mostly. Mm. But it's a it's a good victory for us. Slow slow but steady progress. Yeah, I feel like. You know, all the ladies out there, leave a comment below because maybe this comes across differently. I don't think it it's a man-woman thing. I think both both parties would love each other to be their best self, as they say. But for sure, like dealing with my wife during depression, she wasn't really so into caring about how she looked or smelt or anything like that because she was just battling with getting from one moment to the next, right? But the more she was able to experience love by working on herself and resolving these things, the more that, not for me, not for anybody, but she just wanted to feel better. And you feel better when you are a representation of that higher version of yourself, right? So how that looks can be different for everybody. But I want to tie this all back to, because we're talking about you know, we're doing the groundwork here to talk about what is God-centered sexuality. And a huge part of that is internal versus external because I remember some blessing workshops back in the day, B in the D, uh, where the lecturer was talking about how uh, he, he counsels a lot of couples and especially the husbands of these new couples with really complaining about the wife not being sexually adventurous enough and not trying certain positions, not doing certain things. And it was a real complaint in their heart. Like, my wife is prudish, was the sentiment, basically. And if you if you boiled that down, it was basically like, my my wife isn't being like the woman that I've been watching my whole life. And... That is exactly akin to the worldview that I was talking about before. Is like my internal, extremely elaborate, exponentially complex individual who's made up of trillion cells isn't copying the cultural norms that I'm used to, which are completely broken and self-centered, right? So I can't squeeze this complex being into my narrow vision for what's good or what I want. And that is an absolute recipe for pain and suffering for both people. Because you're trying to force somebody to do something that isn't what they want to do. So that inherently is terrible and the opposite of God-centered, right? But it's the then it just creates frustration for both parties, at the very least, if not real deep hurt, you know? And so, like, that's one thing is that when you are connected to the divine, to God, to your parent, to the source of all things, you cease to feel and observe the differences between you and the things around you. You become more appreciative to all the little things because you feel connected to them. You look around at the plants and whatever, and you just feel something because you're like, wow, beauty is a, a, a real marvel. You know, just the fact that I can look at a flower and feel something when I allow myself to, that's quite amazing. But when you are disconnected from God, 
all you can see are the differences and the frustrations of the world around you. And you want everything to fit into your little concept of what's right or wrong. And that's what we're dealing with on a societal level. Politically, you're like, you are not like me. That means that you're bad. And so people are throwing stones. It's because people are in this frazzled, disconnected state where they're disconnected from themselves and thus disconnected from each other. But in terms of, of sexuality, it's very much the case is when you feel connected to somebody in heart, really, really in heart, then your your sexuality is an expression of that closeness. And there's a fluidity and there's a natural, you know, rhythm to it where you don't question so much which positions or this or that. It doesn't matter. It's incidental to the fact that you just feel close. Intimacy, that's intimacy. I feel very close, one with you. And sex is just a continuation of that. And so that's one key rubric is your sense of feeling of closeness with somebody. That is absolutely a non-negotiable aspect of being God-centered in terms of sexuality because devoid of that is two individuals in some exchange and when they part ways, it's just like what I got out of it, how I felt. And it's not about creating something together. Like divine principle is like the whole four position foundation. The result could be sex, right? You have God here and then you have two people and they're creating something special and the result is a wonderful experience where they feel closer, more trusting of each other, this kind of stuff. And you take away the God. And again, God can be ethereal and all the many things. But here, I just want to talk about a, a reverence to the fact that you are not separate beings. You are, especially in a marriage, you are part of one entity and Sex, in that sense, is a celebration of your oneness rather than two people going after their, I, I, I want to get mine, which is like, I swear to God, every single song that you'll ever hear about sex is about that, is about what you get, not about what you give. And it's horrific because it's you hear it so many times and that's just what you expect, whether you know it or not, whether you believe in it or not, it's what you expect. Is like the complaints of like, I... She doesn't take care of me. He doesn't take care of me. Whatever, right? Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, it does. Man. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I can talk all day about this. I think we could talk all day about this. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think how to make this really concrete and substantial instead of abstract and esoteric. I think what you said earlier was really important, which is that everyone has a different perspective on what this term God-centered sexuality means, God-centered sex, God-centered intimacy. I believe that for many people, it is very much a let's do Hanoke and let's pray every time we have a sexual intimate encounter, right? And that's, that's it for some people. And some people experience heaven and earth shaking, you know, have very spiritual experiences during their sexual intimacy. Some people, it's not the act of sex, but it's a ongoing relationship of intimacy of physical and emotional and spiritual intimacy that lasts throughout the day throughout their life you know i was thinking about all these things i think for me i'll just share two perspectives that i look at god-centered sexuality that have helped me a lot and our couple i would say helped our couple a lot the first one is that i think the question is not if god is present or not I think that's the wrong question because that's that's what a lot of people will go through life asking themselves, especially in our realm, in our community, 
Is God present in my matching process? Is God present in my work? Is God present in my blessing? Is God present in my parenting and my sexual relationship? I think it's the wrong question because the, the underlying assumption of that is that God is either present or not, which is, which is ludicrous to think about. If you, if you understand, like, if you have a real relationship with God and you understand God's essence is that God is always everywhere. God is always in your relationships. It's just, to me, this is how I interpret it. It's a matter of how much I allow God to work in that relationship. How much is God, you know, enlarging and encompassing the love in our relationship? You know, I kind of feel like it's a, like a little, like a little something in, inside your heart, something inside your, inside every single person, every relationship, every interaction and the extent to which God is present is really entirely up to us because God is always reaching out. God is always reaching down. God is always doing his utmost to, to connect with us. And it's our portion of responsibility to reach back and to allow God to work, right? And of course, like, what does that mean, right? In a relationship and especially in a sexual relationship. For me, what that means is, is, is God here, which is, 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 our relationship based on selflessness and unconditional love, because that is what God is. That's what I believe God to be. God is an unconditional loving being. And so the more I am that in a relationship, then naturally the more God is able to, to, to be that. And I'm al allowing God to, to, to experience that fully in, in our relationship. Right. And so for me, that's it. That is, that is like the bare bones, simplest, understanding for me it's not a spiritual like doing how much am i doing 100k or praying or or being deliberate during our sexual relationship it's just am i being selfless and unconditional and to what extent i am because the more i am that the more i'm allowing god to be here right and i can't tell you like when i was really really struggling with my porn habit right even after even after like soon after the blessing which is really shocking to me like a year after the blessing I was hit with really strong urges to go back to porn and masturbation, right? And I remember like after battling that for a while, I remember the thought of like, as long as this is in my life, even if it's occasional, even if it's once a month, and this is always the justification, like, oh, it's just, you know, sometimes once a month is not that bad. But I remember the thought, even if it's occasional, I cannot fully love my wife to the fullest extent. And I can't fully allow God to work because I am still reserving something for myself. I'm still be making it about me, right? And I noticed it was literally making it about me because if you are watching porn and masturbating, right, you physically, emotionally, but especially physically, you, you don't have anything to give to your spouse. You don't. You don't have any energy left to give to them. Yeah. Emotionally speaking too, it's very unlikely that you can watch porn masturbate and still have an intimate relationship almost impossible. It's very hard. And so when I realized that, I was like, I am, even though I try my best to love my wife, I cannot fully 100% as long as it's in my life. And that was like the, the moment I was like, this is, this is gross. Like, like I hate this, you know, like sure. I hate being this person, <laughs> you know? And I kind of like, it's like I had, I took a, like a mental look in a mirror at myself. Right. And it just felt like this utterly obese, massively overbeast human being, right? Metaphorically speaking. And I just look in the mirror, I was like, like, you're disgusting. Like, what is wrong with you? You know? And of course that's a very like masculine way to 
to approach stuff in a very fatherly way. I was like, yeah, like, you're disgusting, dude. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, that's that's how I talk to myself. Sure. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but that's how I talk to myself. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? You know, you piece of, like, you piece of garbage. <laughs> I seriously talk to myself, like, by the way. Maybe I need help. So, so that's like the first way that I see it, is like, if I'm allowing God, if I want God to work, I have to be selfless. And of course, I'm not 100% there yet. I'm still selfish to some extent. But as long as I'm climbing the spectrum and allowing God to work more and more and to be brighter and brighter, I'm okay. Like, that's progress to me. And, and I'm not going to beat myself up if I'm selfish sometimes. I'm just going to try to learn from it and, and grow from there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then to even talk about it when you are being selfish, because that acknowledgement and that conversation with your, your significant other helps them to understand where you're coming from. And then that creates a sense of intimacy, right? It's like, oh yeah, you were acting like a bit of a weasel. Now I know why. And now I know you a little bit better and that helps me trust you more. So yeah, one thing, you know, a biblical concept of, of being naked and unashamed, I've thought a lot about that because to be physically naked is obviously helpful <laughs> if you're going to have sex. But you can be naked with your spouse and you can be having sex with them and not be fully emotionally and spiritually naked. And it, it shows. It really shows if somebody's not present. The idea of presence so the presence of God, we talk about, I feel the presence of God. And it's usually the sensation that there's something supernatural in our midst. There's something special in the air, in the ether, whatever. And when you're in a conversation with somebody, just basic, you just talk about talking. When I, you're talking with somebody, if somebody's fully present with you, it's special. When you're telling a story and somebody's eating it up, they're just like, they're all in on, on whatever it is you're saying. It is the best feeling. And when somebody's distracted, so over the past two days, I had a, a couple of meetings with different people out here in Mongolia. One was like a family member, this couple, and he's a, it's a couple and the guy's a serial entrepreneur. He's unbelievably wealthy. And he, oh, multiple times during the course, we went to his office to meet with him. Multiple times during a conversation, some random person would come in and he just started another, another meeting while talking to him. And then the person would just leave and then it was just like, what is happening? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't feel like I could really get into the rhythm of a deep conversation, obviously, because he would just turn his head and there'd be a person sitting next to me. I'm like, what? where did you just appear from? And then they would just start having a meeting about some new business that they're going to start or whatever. But the night before we met with somebody... And my wife was talking to him because I don't speak Mongolian and and he was listening in a way that very few people I've ever seen listen to somebody else. He's, he's an amazing guy. He's a really cool guy. And I could see that his attention to her words helped her words to come out more fluidly because her words felt, your words are the accumulated sum of the expression of your thoughts and your feelings, right? So if you're if you really feel like somebody's listening to you, it actually opens your mind because you're not thinking, is this person listening to me? Do they care? You're not wasting any energy on that. You're just in the story because they're helping you get there by their attention. And now think about that in the realm of sexuality, that if somebody's fully present with you and they're there 
in spite of all your physical or any, you know, any flaws, they're just there for you, with you, together with you, then you stop thinking about anything else, like any worries or concerns that you might have in your life, any insecurities that you might have about your body. It all fades away and you're just there. And in those moments when there's a blessed couple like that, in that state, then God is absolutely present because the presence is within the presence, you know? So like when you can be present to somebody, then the experience of presence is there. And that's when something special can land. So to have God-centeredness, this is not easy, everybody, to be mentally present I mean, just in, in any conversation is hard. And especially when you have this uh, conversation with the person that you've been married to for 10 plus years, right? <laughs> you kind of sometimes know where they're going, but you can't say, okay, yeah, 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 shut up, shut up. I get it. I get it. You know, you got to, you got to listen. You got to like, you know, really listen because maybe you'll learn something new, but that's something that you cannot do if you are distracted easily and that's our we're in a very distracted culture mentally but also you cannot be naked and unashamed with somebody if you are emotionally distracted so you're not dealing with your emotions you still have resentment towards that person or concepts about this person or you're judging them for the way that they're showing up right to be fully present is to just let all that fade away and just give yourself to somebody and that's a difficult place to get to, especially time and again, because things arise, you know, I don't know, fights, sometimes you get into fights, or sometimes you're just really stressed out from work or from having your foot run over by a bus or whatever happened. There's a lot of stuff in life that comes your way. So it's hard to just be fully present with somebody, but it's one of the greatest gifts because then they can give themselves to you. And this reciprocity of presence is I think the the soil for God to land, for it to become God-centered is presence because you have to get rid of everything else that might be in the way of you and, you, and your spouse. And then you're actually, every everything that is not just you and your spouse doesn't exist. And then you're one. And that is Chanoga. That's it. That's right. the essence. Nice. To become one, by the way. Got it. Being present to let God work in every relationship. I was, it's, by the way, I'm writing, I'm giving a talk next week. And so one of the things that I was trying to find is like a slide for two become one, like a picture or some, like a cartoon or something. So I just did two become one. And there's nothing that shows up that's not a reference to the Spice Girls song, two become one, which is really, really quite a shame. I, I hope I'm we surprised can you that. haven't used a mid journey or Dolly. Yeah, I could. I don't even know what I would ask it, though. Make two things become one, and it'll just give me some weird... Not Spice Girl. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be specific. Yeah, Channel Gook. This is like the other second perspective that I've developed about sex, and also recently just thinking about a lot, is what is the Channel Gook path in life? Because, at least for me, speaking for myself, I have this tendency to, to... think of things in a restorational way. And I believe wholeheartedly like the restorational period is is over. Like we don't need to think restorationally anymore, right? And you can take that as it is, but that's my belief. So that's my understanding of the providence right now. 
So this question has been formulating and I've been talking with people and asking like, what is the Chunoguk route and what is the restorational route? And the easy answer is find the restorational route and don't do that, right? Like do the opposite thing. So when it comes to sexuality, I believe that we should see our sexual relationships as the Chunoguk route, which is not easy to understand. And I think it's confusing for people because people far fall for the trap of doing what I want, like do whatever I want. And that's with the Chunoguk route. And I don't think that's accurate. Because doing what you want doesn't always necessarily mean by default that God is at the center of it, that your parents are at the center of it, that others, the non-self, are at the center of it, right? So what's helped me make decisions about, like, should I do decision A or decision B, take this path or that path, is thinking, okay, for example, let's give an example. My, my matching process, which... A lot of people might be familiar. I don't know if I've talked about it here on this podcast, but your father asked us in our matching ceremony to choose our own spouse, right? Without going into the whole story, my point around this is that I'm trying to illustrate what this means. And my first thought was when father asked us to choose our spouse, after freaking out and deciding, okay, let's do this, uh, my first thought was choose the ugliest person and the most overweight person I can find because that is how I've been trained, Right. And then, of course, for obvious reasons, that's a bad idea because she's going to ask me later, right, why I chose her. Um, and so, because I'm smart enough to know that that was a bad idea. So I was like, okay, that's not the right answer. And then the the path I did choose happened to be I, what I believe is the Chanukah route, is the non-restorational route, which is to choose. Father did say this. I'll say, you know, what he did say. is He, he said, if you make a decision, God will support you. And he also said, if you choose somebody you like, you'll have no reason to break, to break your blessing. Okay? But you have to understand the context of this matching ceremony, right? The context is everybody in this ceremony, including myself, was 100% committed to doing the best thing that is for God, the best thing that is for our lineage, the best thing that is for our children and for our blessing. And it was 100% the opposite of, let me do something for me that I want that is going to fulfill my own personal satisfaction. Okay, so the context is important. So what I understood in the moment, interestingly, and especially retrospectively, is that the Chanukok route is to align what I want with what God needs and to make those the same, right? And so that's how I understand these two different paths, to make my sexual relationship something that is enjoyable and fun and exciting, but also is in align with 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 god's mission and god's lineage which in my in my experience and opinion is about having children and raising children in that sense right it's like you can't you can't negate the fact and you can't deny the fact that part of god's design for sex is to have children right like we we overlook that all the time it's like oh the purpose of sex is to it's like no the purpose of sex fundamentally is really to have kids you know what i'm saying like very very bare bones so Another example of this is like my my family and I decided to go to Chumpyong for two weeks in October, this coming October. And I made this decision recently. And my first thought was like, I want to go to Chumpyong. The restorational Benji would have said, let me go to Chumpyong two weeks by myself, leave my family behind, and I'm going to go Chumpyong sleep on a floor. The Chunogok Benji was like, no, I'm going to take my entire family and we're going to live it up in Korea. We're going to rent a car. We're going to probably get like a resort side like lakeside resort for two weeks, Airbnb style. 
And then we're just going to like drive back and forth to Champyeong every day and enjoy our experience in Korea. Eat fried chicken and have a G burger, et cetera. And so for me, it was, I'm not like trying to make this like big, like Benji's going to Korea. It's like, it was an important realization for me of like a physical illustration of what it's like to live a Chanukok lifestyle is that we're trying to do enjoyable and fun things, but also keep a centered and selfless approach to it, you know? So that's just my two cents on Chanukok. Yeah. Yeah. I think it changes the focus because I've heard this conversation quite a bit. And I know a lot of people are leery of the fact that to say that we're not in a restorational era means that it negates the existence of restoration. And I don't think that's the point at all. It's the idea that restoration will always be there because you always, you know, you always make mistakes and we're also restoring other stuff that we don't even understand on a, clearly on a societal level on an individual level, even in our, they're talking about epigenetics, even within our DNA, we're restoring stuff, but that's not the emphasis. That's not the point. The point is that's the mean, but the means, but it, it, it'll come up inevitably. But the focus is on creation, is on creating something truly beautiful. And in the process of creating something beautiful, you will reach your limitations. And that's where restoration will pop its little head up and you can just hug it and play with it and mess around with it. It's it's unavoidable, but it's not like, okay, great, you know, we're restoring stuff. It's more like, okay, we're restoring stuff. That's cool. It's part of the process. Any creative process, you will you will be at some point bashing your head against the wall. If it's, you know, making a movie, if it's writing a song, there's some stuff that flows and then there's other stuff that's like it, you only get half of the picture given to you and the other half you have to wrestle with. And that's a huge part of birthing anything in terms of creation is is that struggle and it, it's helpful to us but it's it's incidental and it's less about regression and going backwards and it's more just figuring out if you have a goal this is okay this is very apt with high noon okay the whole idea of why having a north star goal or any goal is very helpful it's got many aspects to it, but one very clear benefit to having a crystallized goal is that you're like, okay, imagine metaphorically, you see something and I want to go over there. I want to walk towards that thing. I want that. I want to be at that place in my life. So you start walking and then you realize, wow, I have some chains that are holding me back. I didn't know I had those chains. I didn't know that I had those chains because I wasn't going anywhere. But the moment that you see where you want to go and you start going there, you will notice that you, will ha you have something holding you back. Now you start to look at that and familiarize yourself, what is holding me back? And you see that these are chains that lead you back to bad habits, to old concepts, to maybe some genetics that, that you've inherited. And then you just work on cutting those chains. And some people might say that, you know, I, I would call that restoration because you got to stop for a second and you got to acknowledge, okay, I want what's over there, but I'm stuck because of these chains. And then you spend some time on the chains. You don't get lost in those chains because that's some people, the restoration mindset is let's focus on these chains. And then you get, you get strangled by the chains because there's so many of them actually. But if one by one you deal with those chains, you'll, you'll be more free to then pursue what it is that you're going after. But you cannot even identify these chains if you don't have somewhere to go. You're just comfortably uncomfortable, but you got nowhere to go anyway. So 
what's the diff, right? But the moment that you start to focus, and that's, again, the channel go thing is like, well, we're building something. What? Well, let's figure that out. Okay, that's there's your vision. Now we're going to this place. Let's go. And then everybody's like, wait, I can't. Why? Because my leg is chained to this post. Oh, okay. Why? Let's figure that out. And then you just work at chiseling away at that. And then little by little, you have fewer and fewer chains until you actually feel free. That's what freedom feels like. It's like, I could go anywhere. That sense of I could do anything, I could go anywhere, that's our original state. It's our connection to so much dysfunction that prevents us, right? If somebody's like, hey, I want to become an Olympic athlete, go tell the first five people in your life that you can think of and they will be like, that's not a good idea. You can't do that. You know, like all these things become there. That's the connection to our, our fallen lineage, a legacy of you can't. Why? Because we're chained, man. We're chained. <laughs> but our natural state is exploratory to like go and conquer, you know, galaxies and just like, what's, what's the difference? Like, let's go. But if you ever have a, a big goal, you'll notice very quickly that the limitations you have present themselves very aggressively <laughs> and continuously. And they will be whispering these lies that you can't. And they'll, they'll have really good uh, lawyers in fold telling you why you can't do so many things that you want to do. So yeah, channel look to me, I, like in terms of like God-centered love too, is like, Picture that. If you're a single person, what does that look like? What does it mean to have God-centered sexuality as a single person? That, To us, the way that we express it is that you're using your sexual energy to create things, to create relationship, the creative process, instead of squandering your sexuality into an abyss that is not reciprocal. And that is what porn is. It's never reciprocated. In fact, what you're bonding to is people's suffering instead of people's joy and, and connection, right? So as a single person, to use and harness that sexual energy and bottle it in a sense, right, metaphorically to create amazing things, that's, that's God-centered because we're meant to control our sexual energy. And anybody who says otherwise is, is a proponent of chaos because if you just acted on all of your sexual impulses, we would live in the pits of hell. So, uh, but if you are in a relationship, then to, to think about, well, what, what does it look like to have a, a thriving sexuality that really represents the best of ourselves and a sense of oneness and a sense of there's no separation and like we're excited about each other, we love each other, regardless of our physical appearance or whatever, we just are and we're celebrating that together. How do we get there? And then start having those conversations and then start You'll find a way there. But again, it's that you start with a vision. And Channel Gook, one thing that people are not talking about is the lack of vision that we have as a movement for what it really looks like to operate as Channel Gook citizens. And we got to pioneer that by having some theses, some proposals, some ideas, and to chip away at it. Maybe you'll be wrong, but it starts with a vision. So sexually, what does it mean to be God-centered? Have a thesis. Practice it. That's why we work in quarters, so that you can... Have an idea of what you want to accomplish in the next three months, and then you have a support system to accomplish those things, and you might not reach your goals, but the pursuit of those goals will give you so much clarity, and then you can do it again, the next quarter, the next quarter, and it's like this perpetual state of exploring how to become more my channel cook self.
and that's exciting. And it's never ending. Yeah. So thank you. I, I think, you know, please leave a comment below. Just reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts about what it means to, what, what is God-centered sexuality? We, we unpacked it quite a bit, came at it from different angles. But to be honest, I think it's going to take generations for us to truly understand what this actually means. But the more that we talk about it, the more that the ideas will surface and the more that we can practice those and live those and create that culture. It's not, all the ideas are not going to come from Benji and I. We just think a lot about this stuff and we work on this all day, every day. So we're steeped in it, but you guys have great ideas too. And we'd love to hear them. So please connect via email or via Instagram. If you're those fans of ours on Instagram or I don't know, find us, you do the work. Benji, any last words? Want to wrap? Yeah, wrap? I, I think a new perspective that I've developed and I think we can all have, like Andrew said, is that we don't have the answers. Nobody does. Actually, I think that it comes from within us, right? This idea of what is Chanongguk living, it's not going to, I really do believe it, that no one is going to answer that question for us, except for us, like from ourselves, you know, and over time it'll become clear. So we're writing the, we're writing the history book books out as we speak. And I genuinely believe that, you know, we can, we can kind of see ourselves akin to like the early Christians. And that's kind of how I've developed, you know, my, my perspective on us is like the early Christians didn't have a Bible, right? It was just yeah. like, what is yeah. my experience? What is my experience with God? What is my original mind? And what is my experience with Jesus and the providence? And is it aligned? Am I not aligned? Am I being God-centered or am I, or am I being selfish or selfless? And I think that's that's how it'll all unfold is from our from our hearts, from our original minds, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Oh, we will see you, people. Bye bye. We will see you soon. Somewhere in your minds, in your dreams. We will see you though. And that would be awesome. Let us know if you're in your week. dreams. <laughs> all right. God bless you guys. Peace, peace.